This episode is brought to you by One Snowmass Residence Club, located in the heart of the new Snowmass Base Village. This limited collection of ski and scout residences lets you choose any ownership plan that fits your family's lifestyle. With two, three, and four bedroom options available, you can select the size that makes sense for you and how much time you want to spend in Snowmass. Customize the perfect ownership with guaranteed use at specific times of the year, plus unlimited use of three additional types of long or short-term reservations. And the revolutionary exit strategy allows you and the other owners in your shared residence to voluntarily sell the unit as whole ownership and distribute the proceeds proportionally. An online reservations portal, housekeeping, and concierge services plus resort-style amenities means smarter mountain living. To learn more, visit onesnowmassresidenceclub.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of home ownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Tim Bolinski. Tim is president of IND Ventures, one of the most successful developers in the Roaring Fork Valley. Prior to moving into residential and commercial real estate, Tim was the CFO of Sport Obermeyer, a storied Aspen company started by Klaus Obermeyer. Tim's financial acumen, communication, vision, and community relations led to the resurrection and build out of Willits Town Center in Basalt. Now he has his sights set on Old Town, with multiple projects in the works, including Basalt River Park, and a new mixed-use building and neighborhood grocery store with a residential component to create vibrancy in the downtown core. In our conversation, we talked about the importance of timing with every real estate project, especially as it relates to community acceptance. We also discussed the need for workforce housing and mixed-use developments, representing a component of the project that not only has demand, but makes for great year-round neighbors. Lastly, we dove into the maturation of the Mid-Valley around Basalt, driven by residential housing first, and now being followed by commercial and business ultimately creating vitality and less need for commuting. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Tim. This episode is sponsored by SH Building Group. The experienced team of professionals at SH Built consists of client, site, accounting, subcontractor, design, and craft building specialists. They integrate the latest construction management technology and offer home guardianship services and advanced inspections. Tom Sherlock and his team helped remodel my home, and their attention to detail was unsurpassed. Start planning a project today. Visit shbuilt.com or call 970-923-1122 and tell them you heard about them on Selling the Mountains. I guess that's part of the story, too. I've got a lot of gray hair uh, because I've <laughs> earned it. And um, we've been working on it for all these projects for an awful long time. So 
on personal, you know, uh, Sharla and I moved to the area in 89, the same week we got married, we took jobs. She worked for Bob Beatty ultimately uh, that year and, and was working on NASTAR and, and Wide World of Skiing, which is all old stuff. <laughs> but but we, there was a cool little Aspen uh, ski industry vibe back in those years. And it's kind of gone corporate in a lot of ways. Uh, since then, it's not not nearly as much here, but there were a lot of startups and a lot of uh, heavy hitters sort of in the ski industry that were in Aspen. So, you know, I worked at Obermeyer and, and, um, and you know, we've been here since then and we thought it'd be, you know, fun for a while. I wanted to get into the ski industry. I also enjoyed, you know, real estate, but um, the ski industry was kind of the first thing on the on the list. And so I, I went from being a, a CPA with a national accounting firm in Denver and Charlotte was working in television news to um, kind of taking those careers and changing them and molding them to what would work here. And uh, we've been able to do that in uh, our cases in a, in a way of finding challenges and rewards and, and, and also enjoying the lifestyle that's here. And, and now we look back having raised three kids and, and uh, we couldn't have played it out any differently. That's a great story. It's uh, it's not dissimilar to a lot of the stories that I've heard in the show, you know, how people sort of find their way to mountain town living and, you know, and not necessarily find their immediate path forward um, right away. And then sort of entre through entrepreneurship and, um, and fortitude, figure out a way to make it work and, and ultimately are able to have successful lives in these mountain towns, which is really something to celebrate because it's not easy. Right. And, um, you know, and you found a way to, to make a great living and provide and, and uh, with a great company in Sport Obermeyer and a, and a mentor in Klaus Obermeyer. You know, can you just give me a little more, so when you developed Obermeyer Place, that's a pretty substantial project in Aspen and continues, you know, this day is, is a very uh, prominent building and a lot of retail and stuff going on in there. Um, were You were an employee of o Sport Obermeyer at the time during the development of that process? I was. I was chief financial officer at Obermeyer, so... When something uh, other than pure ski wear came along that looked like it you know, was um, going to take some business acumen, uh, you know, Klaus would walk into my office and we'd sit down and, and figure it out. This one was a bigger endeavor than either of us had, <laughs> had ever thought it would turn into be. But it was the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, Klaus, in the end, put his name on it. And that made it become a project that was bigger than just a real estate project and and it became something that had uh, you know uh, more than the typical developer goals associated with it this had to be uh, resonant and, and in keeping with the the goals the, the reputation of the obermeyer family so it was it was a big deal um uh, for all of us and we wondered if we'd just keep going with some real estate development but it just didn't play out uh, we didn't find the right thing, and so much of it just timing to do something else as uh, as an Obermeyer group. Uh, but it introduced uh, all of us really to the to the um, the world of of real estate development in the area, and and in my case, put me on a track to just deal with you know these complex projects, things that were going to take some you know, some real focus and attention, and and just don't happen overnight. Um, even the Obermeyer Place project, I think my notes went back to 1994. So that was, you know, eight years before we got shovel into ground. And, uh, and some of these other projects that I've been working on have some really far back history. 
uh, partly because we've been here, been able to kind of connect with people who at some point knew they had something that they uh, wanted to, to do with their property. And so uh, you just kind of have to plant those seeds and, and let time go. Um, but with the um, real estate exposure that that uh, gave me, I guess, um, then um, the Willits Project came along as um, as an opportunity and it was uh, actually Michael Lipkin who had uh, been the instigator of Willits Town Center and the, the whole Willits uh, area of Basalt who called me out of the blue and just said you know I, I see you're you're done with Obermeyer Place and uh, would you like to take on this project down in Basalt and he had just sold uh, his interests to a group and they were looking for local leadership. So it was a great thing for uh, us to have to do, and us, I mean, my family, that, that we could um, enjoy, you know, professional progression and, and uh, challenging work, but not have to leave the area to do it. So it was, it was really a, 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 a logical next step for me working uh, in real estate. So did you go to work for Michael Lipkin or did you create IND Ventures at that point in time? Oh, there was a couple in between steps. <laughs> so um, <laughs> for uh, a long while, I was either working as an employee of a development uh, group that owned the property or after foreclosure, worked as an independent contractor for uh, groups uh, that had control of the property. So Willits had some rocky times and... You know, I think a lot of people remember Whole Foods when people would joke that it was the hole in the project. It was literally for about two years a partially completed construction uh, construction project of a parking garage right there at the highway. That um, and uh, that was a reflection of the, the Great Recession and, and how everything just froze in time. So during those times, even it was. Uh, important to keep the lights on because we did have retailers here. We did have people living here, but we had not yet built Whole Foods and so much of the rest of the project. But we also didn't know how long it would take to reactivate things. So we always thought it was just around the corner that we'd, we'd be back underway, but it was a couple of years. Yeah, I actually moved to the Valley in 2011. And I actually, my first um, place I lived was very near Willits. It was actually just adjacent to Willits. And so I moved here when it was in the uh, kind of the unfinished phase, if you will. And, you know, there was a couple restaurants and there was some apartments and big hole in the ground around the Whole Foods. And there was a lot of speculation that it would never become a Whole Foods. And, and yet, and then it did. And, uh, and it was sort of the catalyst to get the whole project going. Give me a little, can you give us a little more insight into what finally got that to pull the trigger? Was it just market dynamics or was there something that happened in the cycle of that development that really kicked started it and got it going and, and everything from there? Well, part of it was the, the resolution of the recession and that um, banks uh, were willing to um, relinquish their control over foreclosed properties and just kind of ease their way out of those uh, situations. And that's really what happened with, um, with Willits. Um, the group Mariner Real Estate, which is now called Platform Ventures out of Kansas City, were really the white knights that came in. Um, they're based in Kansas City, a super group, very entrepreneurial, very flexible, uh, but they understand the business and they're sharp. And so they uh, 
uh, had come across, you know, there's always a story in Aspen, right? Somebody, somebody saw something and said, Aspen, you know, we'll break all the rules and come to Aspen. Um, so they, uh, <laughs> they saw the opportunity and, and made a run at buying uh, the Whole Foods site and, and the rest of what was undeveloped yet. And Whole Foods' building was to have been a three-story, you know, a mixed-use building. It was supposed to have, I think, about 100 residential units on the second and third floor. Uh, there was a lot to be done to make it change to what it is today. And that's why that parking garage exists. It was meant to house uh, a whole bunch of residential uh, uh, cars that were above Whole Foods. And obviously that had to be uh, removed just to keep things more simple. And Whole Foods itself moved from being a, about double the size of what it is today. It, it, it downsized to about half of what it was originally going to be. It was going to take that entire floor. And now it's got a part of that ground floor and, and uh, four dogs and Bristle cone and, and uh, basalt bike and uh, occupy the surrounding area. But that was all meant to be Whole Foods. So it changed and everybody just had to roll with it. Um, the town of Basalt was, uh, you know, very helpful looking for ways for this to get back on track. Uh, you know, Bill Kane, who's now the town ma uh, mayor, was the town manager back then. He had retired from Aspen Skiing Company as a senior exec there. And uh, I don't I don't think it for if not for Bill uh, you know, as a town manager, just seeing the need to trust that would get get it done. But we had to rework the, the deal with Whole Foods to have them be smaller. They had to go with that. That's what they wanted anyway to protect themselves. And uh, everybody just kind of uh, figured it out in fairly short order. We had to build a roundabout, the one that you have as you come into uh, uh, Willits. I think we got that done in about 100 days um, and, and make the adjustments on the, what's the entitlements so that it was all, you know, according to plan or the plan was adjusted to, to be in sync with what was allowed. And everybody moved, moved quickly. Um, and Whole Foods was, you know, so important to um, whether it was smaller or, or if it had been bigger, as smaller as it is, or, or if it was the bigger size, it's, you know, it's really performed and become the quality anchor that Whole, that Willits needed uh, for the rest of the project to work. And it was what was envisioned with some pretty bold vision, actually. It was, you know, um, that's a big name for this small market and Whole Foods has not really repeated that success um, uh, in their following stores. So the, the store was a home run here for them and for the community. It kind of broke the ice so that people um, who were uh, up valley could kind of get comfortable driving past the roundabout and coming down valley to Whole Foods. <laughs> it was okay to say that, you know, that you've gone to Whole Foods. And, and then all of a sudden other things began to come around. Uh, Willits is, you know, looking pretty complete right now, but it, it did take an awful long time to do it. And that's a reflection of just the small community that it is in. It's, if you'd taken the same plan and plunked it into, you know, Denver or a large market like that, you know, it would have been done in two or three years. But it took about one building every year to get it done. And I've been here, I guess, about 14 years. So we're done now. Uh, all the blocks are spoken for. Um, we still have the last one to get started. It's um, First Bank's building uh, by the bus stop out by the highway. They had a groundbreaking just this week, and they'll be the last building to be done. And then we move on to just enhancements at Willits um, as, as go, and, and just the operations take it from there. And, and a developer role is, 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 is pretty, pretty done by now. 
And uh, I'll be moving on to downtown Basalt with uh, our primary efforts. But we're also looking in, uh, in, in, and have some pretty good things happening, we think, in Glenwood Springs and looking further even down Valley uh, because there's, there's a need to, you know, to do quality work. And uh, we've got a team that is really capable and, and uh, fun to work with that we'd like to keep going. So uh, I think our pipeline of work is, is going to be pretty big. So where do you find the biggest value right now? We know, you know, this show, we spent a lot of time talking about the crazy boom that was pandemic fueled in mountain towns in general and escalation of pricing on, on residential units and commercial, I'm assuming as well. You know, I mean, so where is the biggest value right now as a developer, as a, somebody make, looking to make an investment in, into a valley like uh, the Aspen Roaring Fork Valley? Well, what is needed in our valley is housing. So that's the mainstay. And then commercial, although so many people want commercial to be the lead, it really needs to follow. Um, and it'll come. But, um, you know, we've, we've got enough restaurants and entertainment, and I think we've got, you know, enough merchants uh, in, the, in the mid valley here for the community that's here. I think what we're looking for now are more uh, beds and more ways for people to live here. And, you know, that's a whole other arena, obviously, with the affordability issues that, that always pinch a resort market, but have always pinched us in particular in the Aspen area. But, um, the value uh, is where the demand is, and the demand is in residential. As it relates to commercial, Christian, you know, there's, there's constraints around that because in the end, commercial is not just um, what somebody's willing to pay for the real estate. I mean, it is that, but it's dictated by how that occupant, the merchant, can pay for the rent. And so you, you, you can't, commercial doesn't spin out of control uh, or escalate uh, in real dramatic fashion because it has always around it the, the business uh, that's occupying it that has to be able to support the rents. So that's why, uh, you know, I think residential is going to be the lead in this, in this market for quite some time. This episode is brought to you by Obermeyer Wood Investment Council, an independent investment advisory and financial planning firm based in Aspen and Denver with roots dating back to 1982. Their team of experienced investors, thoughtful financial advisors, and focused problem solvers have helped hundreds of individuals, families, and nonprofits identify and achieve goals using sound advice, careful planning, and clear communication. They are locally based experts, dedicated community members, and proud sponsors of Selling the Mountains. Obermeyer Wood would like to offer all listeners a complimentary, no-pressure investment portfolio review with one of their experienced team members. To schedule a review or to learn more about their services, visit obermeyerwood.com. So you mentioned affordability, right? Obviously another huge topic that I ask a lot of guests and I'm actually going to be doing a deep dive on a, on a future episode on that subject. But, you know, as a developer and a builder, how, how important or how much do you have to have an affordable housing component into your projects these days? Well, it varies by municipality. Uh, as you move from Aspen, Snowmass Village down Valley, uh, they have slightly different rules for that. But the good thing is there's demand for it. But as 
as I look back in time, what Aspen has going for it is that this was on its radar, certainly since I arrived in 89, uh, it was already a very hot topic. And so the awareness of the need to find solutions um, in the Upper Valley has, has been ahead of the pack. You know, this is now a national crisis. You know, you can read headlines from any city about affordability of housing is a problem. So it's, uh, it's everywhere, but um, Aspen was able to get ahead of it. And as uh, they enacted the, the Wheeler transfer tax, you know, I think that was, and then instigated the, the, the administration of the assets with uh, APTA and, and the people that, that are with the affordable housing group to, to run the real estate and then now to buy more and develop more. You know, they've got the golden goose and, and that's the thing that is unique to Aspen. And, uh, and it was the voters that approved that years and years and years ago. So that incoming revenue is really the mainstay. And, and then that's associated in part with new development as well as, of course, just um, retrading of, of existing uh, asset or transactions on existing uh, pieces of real estate. But that's the golden goose that I, don't, I think every community would really need to get into. And that's the community itself voting to, to have that tax be a burden on itself to support that cause. So it's, it's not an easy sell. It, it's got to be you know, uh, very important to uh, the majority of the people in the, in the area that vote on something like that to make it happen. And as a developer, um, it's great to have the uh, deed restricted affordable housing. I kind of lean toward calling a workforce housing in uh, a project at uh, Obermeyer Place, for instance. Um, we really talked positively and glowingly about how the people who are buying those affordable units are, are great neighbors. They, they want to be here just like the second homeowners would. And they are the ones you'll go talk to about a bike ride and the ones that will have the best you know, stash for powder to know about and, and the restaurants to know about. And, and they're, they're great. They're great next door neighbors to have. And so it's not a burden to a, to a real estate development in this market to uh, abide by those rules in terms of inserting those, those units, in, in however that makes sense, but insert, inserting them into these bigger projects. Now, I think that's a really good point. I mean, Aspen has been ahead of this. You know, it's got its challenges, the APTA program and all that. But but at the same time, it has allowed for many, many locals to reside and, and live in the Upper Valley and keep that vibrancy and be good neighbors and um, keep the lights on, if you will, at certain times of year for sure. But now we're seeing that um, play out a bit even further afield, right? And whereas, you know, 10 years ago, Basalt, Carbondale, and, and these other sub, you know, further out mountain towns, communities were considered the, the affordable option if you couldn't make it work in the main town. Now we're starting to run up against affordability issues, even in towns that are sub communities, um, you know, and that, that impacts Basalt and it impacts some of the developments you're working on. Is that correct? Well, it was always um, easy to point to the mile markers of Highway 82 as you go further away from Aspen and say to a person who was looking for housing, you just need to go a little further down Valley and you'll find something a little cheaper. And that's still the case, but it's all relative. You know, the, the tide has, has gone up on all the pricing starting in Aspen, and then it just trickles down Valley. So yes, the, whereas the, the wages haven't changed that dramatically. Uh, wages haven't changed 40% in the last year, but, it, but real estate seems to have. 
So it, it, it makes it harder to figure that out. I, I think what's going on is, is the, um, the economy is driven by Aspen. So there's always this propensity to need to go up Valley or there will always be an under our underlying, you know, a, a, a need to, to, to head up Valley for, for jobs. And, and it's the economic hub of the Valley, even though it's the end of the Valley. And, uh, and then that directs traffic. And so uh, if um, through um, affordable projects that are available in, in, the, in the Down Valley corridors, what, what I think these towns are, are beginning to grapple with is whether they've become um, the workforce housing for an Aspen uh, employee. And they'll have to work their way through that. It's an interesting philosophical stance and yet Basalt and Carbondale um, in, in recent time, especially Basalt, has, has really been a, 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 a bedroom community to, um, to Aspen. Uh, whether it was affordable housing or not, you know, free market housing. Uh, I lived in, in uh, Basalt uh, over the years, and, and you know, the neighbors and, and myself, we were commuting up to Aspen every day, and that was just how it was. So I don't think those dynamics are going to change a whole lot. It seems like you know, they've been the same effective arguments and, and dilemmas since uh, the late 80s. You know, what's interesting is with COVID and the ability, which was sort of forced on all of us, wasn't it, to work at home, that's become now a way to deflect that up valley commute. So it may be that work from home, the WFH uh, movement, is going to be fairly permanent and allows people to uh, have an Aspen job. Um, not everybody, of course, but a lot of people can, can work from home even though their employment is in Aspen. So even if that's just part-time, um, instead of working five days a week, maybe it's four days or three days a week in the uh, physical office, that could relieve some of the congestion of getting up to Aspen. Yeah, I think that's a... That's a problem in a lot of these communities, right? And Aspen is, is certainly not immune to it. The, the, the commuting traffic up and down the valley each day is um, pretty, mm -hmm. pretty hefty. And it gets, uh, you know, and obviously it took a reprieve there for during the COVID year, um, but it seems like it's back to pretty full strength. And, you know, but I am hearing about situations where there's going to be hybrid workforces, you know, where you can you know, maybe three days in the office and two mm -hmm. days at home and, um, and allow a little bit more flexibility built into people's working, um, schedules going forward. So that could help alleviate that. But it's, uh, it is funny because, you know, when you tell people that there's traffic problems here in, in Aspen, they kind of, they look, they scratch their head and you're, well, how, why would there be? Um, but you're, you're right. There is, and it's, it's a challenge. Um, I, I think the mid Valley is maturing. And, uh, as you see with Willits, um, it's got, kind of internal combustion now it's it's got services it's got retail it's got uh, entertainment it's got hotel it's it's got places to live places to work and and that's indicative of of the whole mid valley and uh so it, it's allowing uh people who otherwise had to be in aspen um and now induced or uh, juiced a little bit by by the COVID uh influence um, to be able to move their office to um, somewhere outside of Aspen. So we're hearing from attorneys, for instance. You know, I never would have guessed that, that 
a law practice could be away from the county courthouse, but they can uh, very easily. In fact, they've joked that the judges aren't there either. Everybody's online or even district court is moving down to Glenwood Springs at times for the convenience of, of those involved. So um, attorneys no longer need to be attached physically to Aspen. We've already seen engineers and architects migrate down Valley. Um, and just, you know, and what we saw too over the years is once a business can figure out how to move down Valley and their employees then move further down Valley or can at least because their commutes less. I think that dynamic will continue to play out. And, and now that Basalt has the grocery stores and the healthcare and the good schools and, um, and so many things, the arts are now really starting to pop up here for nighttime activities and after school things for the kids. And, um, you know, I, I really see it being, you know, uh, self-serving in total and, and to where uh, if you don't need to be in Aspen, you don't, you don't have to be. Uh, you'll be able to you know, figure it out, uh, you know, down Valley. And that will help uh, with a pinch, the housing pinch of the affordable housing in Aspen a little bit because people literally not need, not need to be there as much. So I want to I dive into a point you had a little bit um, before. You said, you know, the price of housing in the Valley and in the country in general, right, has is, is escalated a lot in the last year and to the point where you actually said 40% up. And, you know, and, you know, I've heard all varying numbers, but it's somewhere in that realm and wages aren't reflecting that increase. Right. So, so that is a ch- potential challenge. So do you, do you think that puts us on the precipice of a bubble or, a, you know, a real estate bubble? Well, it could be, I think what's static or what's going to be uh, a continued st- stable influence here is people want to be here. So, you, know, you just can't replace it. Uh, the Aspen, the Roaring Fork Valley, uh, it's, it's beautiful, it's welcoming, it's active. Uh, Klaus would say it added 10 years to everybody's life because you just live in a place that's good for you. That's not going to change. So, you know, people, uh, you know, the secret's out. Um, the, it's, it's not just a place to enjoy for a vacation, but it's a pretty good place to live. And that applies not just to Aspen, but to so many resort towns. And so that's, that's happening and that will uh, continue to provide demand for things to happen and, and, and development to happen uh, and real estate to be active in these markets. That doesn't mean it doesn't have ups and downs, but that underlying uh, quality of wanting to be here is, is the thing that will drive, uh, for the most part, our trends to stay positive. This episode is brought to you by Aspen Snowmass Sotheby's International Realty, the premier brokerage in Aspen and the Roaring Fork Valley. As the largest local real estate brokerage, we are a powerhouse firm with international reach and over 180 hand-picked brokers who are local experts, deeply vested in our community and our clients. We continue to set the bar in market knowledge, sales volume, and satisfied clients, and have helped our clients buy and sell more homes than any other real estate company in Aspen and the Roaring Fork Valley for more than 20 years. Our year-to-date sales are greater than the next four companies combined. For us, it's not just business, it's personal, because we're convinced there's no better place to live than right here, right now. Learn more by visiting us at www.aspensnowmasssir.com.
let's let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about some tools of the trade. So, you know, so you you tackle these massive pros, projects, right? Um, the Willits Town Center, for instance, is you know many many buildings, mixed use, commercial, residential. You know, anchor tenants like um, Whole Foods, and you've got uh, medical now going in there as well, and all different levels of, of apartments and units. Um, so how do, how do you go through that envisioning process to undertake a massive development with a multi-year time horizon? One bite at a time. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> you know, there, it's important to find projects, I've found, that need to happen. You know, uh, they're not concocted. They're not just something on a spreadsheet. They actually, when you look around, and, you, you, and you, if you know the area, which you need to, I think, um, you, you understand what's going on and you realize something needs to happen here. And if that's not the case, then uh, you're off to a bad start because it's artificial to begin with. There's a, a lot of hours and, and, you know, interrupted sleep nights. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a stressful thing to take on a project because there's so many moving parts. So... The envisioning of you know how do we how do we see something happen? Um, it, it comes around and it better be obvious. Is kind of how I look at it. And the solutions may have a range you know from right to left of how to get something done, but the overarching need to do something and something that's going to be good somehow and that people will gravitate toward it and support it because in this community. Anything big is going to have to go through a public review. You don't you don't just pull a building permit on anything that's substantial, and that's by by intent. You know, it's it's the way it should be. So you need to have a, a good story to tell and, and and a need that you're responding to. For instance, in downtown Basalt, they need a grocery store. They absolutely need a grocery store. Um, it's a desert. Uh, you know, it's a food desert, I guess is the term for, for down there. And, and, you know, Basalt needs more hotels. They do. They, they, they need that. The community needs that. And at the time that uh, Willits was coming uh, around, it, it was obvious that the city market needed, you know, a, a complement. And so Whole Foods was great for that. And we need residential. So the envisioning uh, to me is, is basically, you know, understanding what's going on and, and applying common sense to that and then applying business sense to that because not everything does make financial uh, reality happen. It just, there's a lot of things that are not bank bankable, even though they're desired. Uh, and so you've got to, you know, run the numbers. And that's, uh, I guess, part of where my background hits pretty hard of being a CPA, but also being a developer and, and having even an architecture mindset of having, uh, I don't know if I said it earlier or not, but uh, in my first year of college was architecture. So it all fits together from my standpoint in terms of building something or not. Um, but there are thousands of hours that get devoted to this, so it better makes sense. And, and your gut check is going to happen <laughs> along yeah. the way. Now, if you've got a good team uh, to get creative with, and that's what we've got. You know, we've got, um, you know, uh, architects, designers, engineers, uh, you know, people, bankers, investors who want to be part of that discussion. And so you let it happen. You, you absolutely, you know, get people to talk loosely about what they see possible. And then you start lining up the, the common denominator to make it happen. Um, and fortunately, you know, we're in, a, we're in a niche now where we have landowners and, and people who are calling us and, and want to, us to take a look at what they've got uh, to develop and, 
And that's fun because we can respond to somebody who's already been thinking about it and already has, has a vested interest in seeing something happen. So these vendors that you're working with, these professionals, architects, engineers, are they part of your company or are they subcontractors? Everybody's an independent professional at the table. And, and I think that's healthy. Um, nobody is bound to making a yes or uh, an okay, you know, a decision based on <laughs> employment. And so they're independent thinkers, independent contractors. That's how uh, it works. But having the continuity uh, and, and, and long-term relationship with so many of them is really key too. We can talk shorthand. We can say, you know, remember that, you know, that curved building we did at Obermeyer and, and what about doing that down here or the, the garage access? And we can talk quickly to each other. We understand, you know, we've, we've shared those experiences with both <laughs> the winners and the losers and we can apply them looking ahead. So it, that's been really um, the way to, for us to approach it. It also allows us the independence to just say, yeah, this doesn't look like it's going to work. You know, we don't have to do it. Um, and that's a luxury to have right now. I hope we're able to continue with that. So how do you determine if a project is going to work? How does it, in, you know, quote unquote, pencil? There's usually some point in time where you just know you're there. It's going to work. And with each of these projects, there, there was a turning point where it was no longer about just plugging away, seeing if something would work if we did this way or that way. Or, but it was usually revolving around community acceptance and, uh, you know, meetings publicly where we felt, you know, okay, our work is paying off here. People get it and they like it. And, uh, you know, we can, we can deal with any of the, the conflicts and, and, and the issues that, that might still be out there and the complications and wrinkles, that's part of, part of doing work. But we can tell that, that this is going to uh, be acceptable to the community. I guess that's always happened in the, in the complicated big projects that I've uh, worked on entitlements for, that we've had you know, support. And so that's, I think, fulfillment of the public process working. That, yeah, I know that support means yeah. so much, right? And you have been able to achieve that, which is a big testament to you and in the process and those relationships that you've forged over time. But again, I think my question more is like, you know, what, at what point does it pencil financially? Well, that's a moving target, especially if, uh, you know, cost of a piece of plywood is, you know, <laughs> everybody's talking about that right <laughs> now compared to what it was a year ago. And, you know, costs move around on you a lot. Uh, uh, and, and you've got to, you know, stay on top of that all the time. So, you know, some of that's just industry knowledge and, 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 and understand this is, this is our profession. We've got to stay up on that, that info. Um, but how do you know when a project is just going to make it? Um, you know, it's a combination of, of the design clicking uh, with the uses clicking and it all looks okay, or at least okay, on a spreadsheet, clicking, and and you just say, okay, let's go, and you just take the next step, and the next step, and the next step, and you have to, you know, usually move pretty quick at at, at that point because you don't want to have the variables change on you. So let's talk about one of your current projects um, that is going to ground shortly. It's Basalt River Park, and again, not unlike Willits. You know, that parcel in, in, you know, really A-plus parcel, downtown Basal on the river, 
you know, was actually acquired by the town of Basalt um, many years ago. And then they've been struggling to find the right developer, the right project to put on that property. And you came along and were finally able to solve that and get something passed through. So tell us a little bit about that. And, you know, what, what allowed you to get that project moving forward when so many others weren't able to? It was just a, um, an alignment of, of my being available to take on that kind of work because I was coming out of the intensity of what we were doing at Willettstown Center. And I could begin to kind of look to the side and see what else might be next. And that the town was seeing, uh, you know, um, development plans um, that were being, uh, you know, kind of lightly presented just to test the wind and test whether there was fortitude to proceed. And, and in that process, it became more obvious to the town, the town meaning town council and, 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 uh, and I think town staff, that there was a, a need to lighten up on the amount of uh, otherwise what could have been in density, you know, how much could be built on that stretch between Rocky Mountain Institute and the four corner entry point coming into the downtown area. It still had the park alongside the river's edge, but but they wanted you know more, and, and there were there were people that were you know very adamant and very vocal and consistently at it that, that there that there needed to be you know just a better park presence, and it came out in a lot of different ways, so line of sight and other stuff, but you know just that the park should really be more important to downtown than just up on the edge of the river, and I lived downtown, you know we had houses there. I'd lived at the frying pan. I walked, I'd walked by, drove by that site all the time. And, and I didn't disagree. Now, from a planning standpoint or from a development standpoint, that's not really the right answer. But it's the answer that the, the town was, was uh, insisting on. And so the town, frankly, was ready to do what it took to, um, to write off some of the costs that they had put into the, the removal of the uh, Pan and Fork mobile homes themselves and, and improve the site and get it out of the floodplain and make it be workable. And so I think I was, you know, just trustworthy. Uh, I hope to th think I was and I still am and uh, had the ability in the team to, to go down there and, and pull off a plan that made sense to them. So right place, right time. Um, but again, how these projects unfold, I remember meeting with the owner of that property when I was still at Sport Obermeyer in 2003, I think, 2004. I mean, that was a, almost 20 years ago that I met uh, with that owner to discuss that project site. So it wasn't, it didn't just happen overnight, but, um, but I was <laughs> kind of the, the person at the right time to, to come in and, and probably get serious with the town and say, this is really what I think could work. And here's really the land use application. And I'm going to ask that you guys really invest your time to understand what we have in mind and, and work us through this, this approval process. We're not testing the waters. We're here for real. And so I think that's just how it unfolded. And then the property property itself turned into a little, this little of that. I mean, Christian, it's, it's not a, it's, it's not an easy project because it's not one thing we've got, you know, a, a restaurant site, we've got a community building site. We have, uh, pass through areas like the Hyman or Cooper street malls, uh, are envisioned. We have, um, we have a mixed use building with some micro units in it to see how those go with, with residences. We have some higher end units to, to be the economic engine for the whole thing. 
a little of this, a little of that, uh, and it, it ends up kind of allowing people to think, okay, well, I, I see that there's something there that's meaningful to me. If they wanted a restaurant or if they wanted an arts center, I'll even though that didn't play out, but what we had, had, had intended that to be. Um, and all the while, residential, whether it's the little stuff or the big stuff, had to be, and that, that's where I came at it with, that's, that's the non-negotiable. We've got to have enough residential to do a couple of things, to be the economic uh, engine that we can rely on to pay for all the other stuff and to bring people into downtown basalt 24 7 year round there will be some second homeowners that's a that's an enjoyable part actually of real estate development too um but but we haven't put deed restrictions over some of the free market residentials so that we have people that need to live in those units that will bring vibrancy to downtown the people will and and that's what i was saying during the entitlement is that a good friend who was walking downtown with me and and she said, there's no people here because there's no people here. And it's that there was no reason to be in downtown. So once you get people downtown, then the other good stuff starts to, starts to click too, like the restaurants having more vibrancy and some, some more merchants being able to, to be in downtown year round. And, uh, and just the lights go on. So you know, Lodo in Denver is a great example where it started with people being downtown. And, and, and that's then led to so many great things happening with cleaning up what was 20 and 30 years ago, a pretty blighted area of, of Denver. And so you start with getting people down there. And, and that will also be the theme we apply to um, Basalt Center, which is the grocery store mixed-use building that we'll be approaching next. Now, the one thing I am really appreciate on how you're approaching the Basalt River Park development is that you're keeping the river front and center, right? And, I, and I'm sure that was a sentiment from the people of basalt and the residents and people that spend time there because, you know, I've seen other t mountain towns, other developments where the river is sort of get, takes a back seat and maybe it's, it's, you know, the views are, are kind of cut off, you know, by the residential components or, you know, you're just not featuring that as a prominent area. And I think that's really important for that sense of place. And that's what makes that area so special. So I commend you guys for doing that. It'll be, it'll make you, uh, basalt so unique because of that. Um, because you're right, the river, and we had an opportunity because we had such a long stretch of river to work with, both for the park as well as all the way down to RMI in the, in the development uh, area. So the town did a great job just insisting on that river access and not feeling like it's a boxed out park that's against the river, but that it has, you know, kind of four-way access almost to, to, the, to the area. And then they put a lot of money into the amenities. They didn't just say, let's plant grass. They've got some really cool features going into that park and a lot of energy on design to make that really be a special place. So it'll be really fun to deliver that uh, all as a package, you know, the town's piece and the park and, and the road improvements, which are dire in, in dire shape right now. And, and then, of course, the, the mixed-use program that we're going to have for that neighborhood. So another project you're undertaking now, too, is the Basalt Center, which is kind of breaking news, right? You're, there's a parcel in, in the downtown core of Basalt that was uh, used to be a restore, and prior to that, it was a market, and it's pretty much sat vacant for the most part for the last um, few years or decade, I mean, five, yeah. ten years, I guess now. Um, you know, and you guys are going to re-envision that and take that on. What's, what, are you, what are you thinking there? What, what should we know? Well... 
the town had earmarked uh, a handful of areas in downtown that they wanted to have activated and wanted changes to happen. So that was done back in 2016, and not a whole lot was able to happen until recently to, to capitalize on that. But but the invitation and kind of the, the red carpet was put out by the town saying, if you can activate, you know, the, the Basalt River Park is one of them, uh, or this area now, uh, the old Restore Clark's Market Space. If you can take this on and you can bring vibrancy to it, we'll allow you, developer, to, to go through the development process in a more predictable, more expedited manner. And allow you to have some, you know, some uh, incentives to make it work. So, the town did a good job setting this up um, to uh, to be the place to get development attention, even though it still took time for that to materialize. Downtown Basalt is not as busy as Willits Town Center is. It just isn't, you know, and it also does not enjoy the highway exposure and traffic that the highway brings into the, the center. So, we're going to need to work hard to. Uh, have these businesses that come into downtown to, to find their way uh, and be successes, you know. Um, and so a grocery store it really needs to happen in downtown, especially as Willits um, is done and, and uh, we see with Whole Foods and City Market that there's a lot of groceries that are sold, 80 million bucks a year in this area. There's room for a, a neighborhood scale, a cool, you know, like a Roxy's kind of scale. Uh, downtown market, and uh, and that was the that was the thing that the town specifically said. Yeah, if you want to have you know the residential that is also meeting a demand, uh, we need a market, or we need a few other things. But the market was was just the logical thing for this site, given that it already was. And downtown used to be busy, uh, you know, back in ninety two, ninety three, when City Market was there. That was City Market. So many people just don't have that. Attachment, you don't. You, you came a little later, and you know it was a busy downtown. It had the post office uh, where the the consignment store is located, right on Midland Avenue. They, it had the library, which is where uh, the town hall area is now, and the and town staff occupies one of those buildings. It was the public library, and you had City Market and a hardware store. It was going. So you know what we see there is improving the site because it is pretty tired and the, the routing through that parking lot is is is, is kind of random and and uh, needs to be tightened up and improved and to put a, a nice patio entry area in in front of the the liquor store grocery store area you know we we like to talk about paradise bakery the paradise bakery corner in aspen and how cool that is everybody feels welcome there it's kind of a reason to hang out, or you just walk through, but you got a smile on your face because it's always kind of neat, and it's it's nicely kept and it's busy, and it just it's the place to see people, and, and that's what we have in mind for that spot in the project, and I think we can pull it off to have that kind of a patio with benches and, and landscaping and a place for things to happen. You can even you know see a little music there at times, and then you go on into the stores. Uh, and then you've got the residential up above, and if we bring in apartments, we're, we're, we're bringing in customers. So for not only the grocery store, but also the restaurants and, and all the places that, that can use that kind of um, walk-in. So I think it's going to work. Um, you know, I think the architects are doing a great job making the building fit into uh, downtown 
basalt, and uh, and I think that we'll see that break ground in about a year from now and take about a year to build out. So I, I think the grocery store is going to be really a fun place to be. I mean, we're going to put a spin on it because uh, they are doing that now with, um, you know, it just it's quasi-entertainment. It's kind of like going to a farmer's market. It's fun. And we want to have that kind of energy come into the, the grocery store area. Sounds like, you know, your career, you've, you've really had an eye for these, call them underutilized or, you know, just delayed parcels or projects um, and really digging your teeth in and re-envisioning them to create places that maybe somebody before you didn't, didn't have that vision to get it done or see it through. And, and I, that's a big testament to you and your, in how you approach things. And you're able to build that consensus among, you know, some, some challenging opposition at times, for sure. What's your secret to uh, making that happen? Communication and hard work and sticking with it and having a project that makes sense. I mean, all those things. Every one of them is a little different that I worked on and that makes them fun. And the, the discipline or the, the things that you need as a developer are, are that wide spectrum of, you know, today you're going to do, you know, the, the design of the living room and tomorrow you're going to do the, uh, the, the concrete work outside and then you're going to work on the legal, you know, HOA documents and then you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And, and it, it's always, you know, keeping you on your toes. You got to stay, you know, very current with what is going on. You got to have good partners. Andrew Light and I are working out uh, on all these projects, having a great time on, on them and um, good investors that trust us and bankers that trust us. So, you know, it's, it's all of the above. Uh, like I said, I've got a lot of gray hair, but we're having a ball. And uh, I think we're meeting the needs of, of people uh, for these uh, projects. And we can't be perfect in every way. We never will be. But uh, I think we're getting enough of it right that we can keep going. And no, getting some time off is also critical to, you know, maintaining that balance. And I know you recently got, went on the river. Tell us a little bit about the river trip that you just got back from. No internet. That was, <laughs> that was the thing. And, you know, I enjoy long weekends and, and staying in touch is okay. Uh, but to be on, uh, on the water and, and we went uh, to the sand, we had a, a permit and we have rafts and, and we had four boats and 12 people. It was our family and another great family friends. And uh, we'd done this trip 12 years ago on the San Juan River, putting in outside of Bluff, Utah, and coming out right in the upper ends of, of Lake Powell, 65 miles downstream. And you got these walls around you of 2,000 feet. And, and everybody thinks they're going to read a book, and you just get mesmerized by the area that you're in. And, you know, a vacation with a bit of an adventure twist is always kind of fun. And, uh, and, and, and this was that. And yet it was very mellow. It was great to get away. Uh, well, the weather was great, great scenery. Uh, so it was fun. It was a good getaway. We found rafting to be a, a wonderful thing for a family to, to kind of get away and, and work together and have fun together. Uh, we bought some dumb boats about 20 years ago and long since replaced them with better boats. But, um, you know, and we don't do anything too crazy uh, whitewater-wise, but we do some. Uh, but this one was just a really fun getaway. Um, our oldest son uh, was moving from Italy to Korea, and he's in the Air Force. And, and so he caught it for about a week with us, with with his new bride and with uh, Ben, who's coming from Japan, who'd been a year and a half 
uh, teaching English there. He was here. And then Anna Kate, uh, our youngest, and, and she's heading off to law school this fall. So um, we were able to all, you know, just really spend time with each other and in, 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 in a relaxed environment. I've been on some river trips myself and, you know, that no internet thing is just, it's such a refresher. It's such a reset to not have that distraction uh, in your life for like a few days or, you know, in that moment and really be in the moment. Uh, And that's what really sets those river trips apart. And so what a chance, what a great chance to connect with your your kids too. And just to have that family time. It's pretty, yeah. It was good. Although the kids, you know, they used to be running around, you know, needing attention. And, and now we're doing cocktail hours when we come off the water. <laughs> right. so, and they're doing most of the work, quite frankly. So, Tim, as a guy who spends a lot of time in the Mid-Valley, um, you know, for listeners who are up and down the valley and, you know, if we're popping down there, what, what do you have any recommendations for a, what's your favorite place to go grab a quick bite to eat? Oh, you know, Mezzaluna is, you know, they, they've done a great job with their down valley restaurant uh best bar in the valley no doubt about it and uh and a great menu and you can't go wrong with free range you know let's support those guys because they're moving across to a new location you know the sleeper for me is wienerstube they are doing some great um european fare and just very authentic their service is great uh i'd strongly recommend wienerstube for lunch and dinner and don't ever forget about the general store at Willits having some uh, cool t- uh, tacos. I mean, they're, they're, their tacos are actually really good. So off the wall recommendations, but that's what they are. What about like a nonprofit or charitable cause? What do you get behind? Mm. You know, um, Charlotte has been involved with Youth Zone, and I, I really see how important that organization is to the whole valley. So, Youth Zone should be on the radar for so many people, uh, for anybody. Um, and I've enjoyed working with you know AVSC over the years. Uh, they've been uh, you know kind of near and dear uh, to me. And then, you know, I think what really showed up during COVID too is you know support a church. I mean, just. Uh, just stay close to something in case you need it in your life. And if you can uh, stay involved and if there's a way to help them also, you know, write them a stroke them a check every once in a while and, and make sure that you're on, they're on your list. Um, you know, I think that's, those are the, those are the places I'd recommend. So we're almost halfway through the year 21 and uh, things are, rebounding nicely, I'd say, you know, the, the COVID, it seems to be in abatement and, uh, you know, and things are lightening up a bit and there's seemingly still incredible demand for being in the mountains, both vacationing and, and for real estate and, and all that. What, how do you think it's going to unfold the rest of 21? Oh, I think we're in a great spot. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to continue because people are already excited to get back up here. I think COVID was a relief valve for so many people. To feel safe uh, and and to you know enjoy uh, themselves and their families, bring bring the crew to the Aspen area as we saw, especially last summer, and I think that'll be a repeat. Uh, it's also nice to see you know the second homeowners homes be occupied. You know just that the lights are on. I think that's pretty cool. I think as as it relates to the Mid Valley Christian Stedman Clinic is is going to open you know midwinter and it will change. Uh, what's going on in the economy here. And uh, it'll be destination healthcare that's going to have a large impact 
on the economy of the Mid Valley and the Upper Valley. Uh, it's it's going to draw people in. It's going to fill up hotel rooms. It's going to be not seasonal to weather or um, time of year. It's it's going to be um, up in the game for everybody else that that provides healthcare in the valley. Um, so I think that the Stedman Clinic is going to be the driver as I look out for the next 12 months for what's going to really be the thing to watch in the in the Mid Valley area. Tim, I've really enjoyed this conversation and getting to hear from you firsthand sort of how you vision a project and how you see it through and, and those relationships and everything that you've put into placemaking in, in a place like Wills Town Center and, and what you're about to undergo in Basalt um, with some really important projects there to revitalize the downtown core there. It's exciting to watch. What's the best way for a listener to find out more about some of these projects? Well, uh, you know, we, I think, do a, a pretty good job of staying in touch with the Aspen Times and the Daily News. And just uh, we make sure that if you read your local newspaper, you'll probably hear what's going on with our, our work. And we feel it's, it's an obligation even to, to make sure that we're um, in touch and not trying, to, not trying to duck that, so to speak, but to really be proactive and, and, and stay in touch with, with that group. So... Uh, we've got websites for the projects themselves. BasaltRiverPark.com uh, is where you can look for what's available for real estate there. Uh, we're selling uh, those homes on the river nicely. If you're interested, you better get, get busy with your realtor. And as we unfold the commercial um, components to these projects, all the realtors listening should keep in mind of if they got friends and clients who might be interested in standing up businesses uh, for the properties that I've described, that uh, we'd love to have that happen. We work with local, local merchants, local businesses. Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podborder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.